Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. everyone welcome back to the believe in temple football podcast season one episode 14 life's been a little hectic recently but adam DeMichael and i are back i'm john DeCarlo, joined by the former temple football quarterback and assistant coach the podcast is presented by bet online again we're happy to be back with you guys adam what's going on how are you what's going on buddy hey uh i'm doing all right man i'm a little disappointed i, I couldn't get into philly for the uh for the spring game, you know, I'd planned on it. And then, you know, my, we had my son's birthday, his third birthday on Saturday as well. So obviously that wasn't going to fly. So, um, I was, I was looking at some things. I retweeted a couple of things on, on, you know, one of the touchdowns I saw, um, but obviously couldn't get out there for that. So I'm just trying to plan, plan my trip up that way. Obviously I'll come up for, a, for a game or two, but man, uh, excited to get back into this a little bit. I know we have, um, you know, this, this recap of the, the spring game. And then obviously, you know, we're going to get into the, the one that we had to you know, reschedule uh, with, with, with Evan Cooper. So I'm um, anxious to get going, man. Yeah, like Adam said, we've got some good stuff coming up for you guys. This will be our our spring game, Trey and White game episode of the Believe in Temple football podcast. And we also have a, an interview to play for you later on. I got the chance to talk one-on-one with Temple offensive line coach Chris Wiesahan, and, and uh, he's also the run game coordinator. Wies and I got to catch up, and I think you guys will enjoy that as well. And then later on this week, like Adam said, we'll have another episode coming up with Evan Cooper, the defensive backs coach and uh, with director of player personnel, right, Adam? Something like he got a strange title. I mean, but he he basically is – he does he wears a lot of hats over there as well. Should I have Googled that right before I said that? Yes, but <laughs> got a, close enough uh, – well, we're going to be like, like Adam said, we did have to reschedule with Coop uh, a couple of weeks ago, but uh, so we'll have a couple of episodes for you uh, this week. I mentioned at the outset of the show that the Believe in Temple Football podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports information. Find all the latest sports developments, including updated odds on the NBA playoffs, fights, and even next season's futures. And don't forget the MLB Major League Baseball is back as well. Who are you picking to win the World Series? BetOnline is your continued source for all of your sports wagering needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's super easy to get started, so head to the website today or use your mobile device to join and use our promo code BLEAV. That's B-L-E-A-V, believe, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. So... Temple played its spring game this past Saturday. Um, the vibe on the positive side, the vibe around the program was great. The weather was weird. It was sunny one minute, uh, hailing the next, sunny again. Like Florida weather, man. Yeah, it was weird. It was it was definitely Florida weird. Um, I, I will say that again, the vibe around the place was was pretty good. A lot of former players came back. Even some of the guys that have transferred out, like Isaiah Graham Mobley. Quincy Roche, Kenny Yaboa, uh, Kurt Warner was there, as you know, EJ Warner, Elijah Warner, Hassan is coming in with this recruiting class. Uh, so Kurt Warner was there. Brian Westbrook was there to support his former running backs coach. As all of you know, if you're a Temple fan, you know that Brian Westbrook uh, was recruited to Villanova several years ago by Stan Drayton. So B-West was there. Um, 
just a, a ton of people. And so, again, I think from a culture perspective, if, if you listen to the players, and we'll actually get into that in a second because we actually didn't get to formally talk to any players uh, around the program on the record during the spring, but it just it, the vibe around the building seems great. Uh, there were a lot of people there. The mood was good. The football itself, uh, you know, the defense won the game 64 to 54. That's not necessarily high scoring affair, high scoring affair, Adam, but sort of. So the defense earned points for things like three and outs, interceptions, fumbles, and making tackles for a loss. So the offense didn't actually score 54 points. They awarded extra points for explosive plays, uh, a run of more than 12 yards, a pass longer than 18 yards. And they were given multiple chances to tie the game uh, during the two minute drills. Adam, you didn't get a chance to be there. Uh, You were kind enough to read our recap of the game. Um, Before we get into some more of the details here, I want to ask you, you know, you, even though, again, you're not coaching this current team anymore, but you, you know what it's like as a coach to go through a spring game, how much to take from it and how much not to take from it. And I think there's work to be done on both sides of the ball, uh, especially on offense from what we can see as reporters, but you know, from what you've been able to kind of just gather and, and look out online where, you know, what, what are your impressions so far? Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, um, it's pretty cool to see those guys, uh, you know, Coach Drayton and, and the staff allow those guys to come back, uh, the guys that transferred out. I mean, there's really no reason not to, you know, let former players. Those guys, you know, like I said, they, they bled that there were sweat tears, you know, wearing the cherry and white. I mean, so it's pretty cool, that, you know, those guys were allowed back. And from the pictures that I saw, you know, through our Facebook groups, John, that we're all in and you know, some of the guys on Twitter, it looked like I said, like like you mentioned earlier, it was a uh, you know the it was it was popping out there. You know what I mean? There was all kind of fans. I mean, cherry and white. I like the bleachers. I liked it having it at EO. Um, you know what I mean? Certain times we've done it at different locations and stuff. So it was pretty cool to see that. Um, but then when you talk about the game, it's like what really matters to me. Whenever I was a player, like for instance, the people that you know watched our spring games when I played, John, they would be like, "This dude's terrible." He, I was never any good in the spring game. And, you know, you got to take it with a grain of salt. It's like, as coaching staff, you try to make it as um, close to a game day atmosphere as possible. So you're doing, you know, the times that you come out are all during the real game. Who you come out with, the specialists come out, the kick returners come out, the punt return. You're trying to make it all as real as possible for um, as a real game. You know what I mean? So that's what you do as, 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 a, as a staff. Um, and then when the players come out, it's like, okay, the quarterbacks, how did they do? I think at the end of the day, the culmination of those other 14 practices obviously shows me and shows the staff and during the evaluation process a lot more than that one game. Because during that one game, you might, again, be the backup quarterback, John, and, you know, you get one snap and you get, a, you know, your left tackle who's your third string left tackle and he gets beat by your first string defensive end, next thing you know, it's second and 18, you're running a run of the ball twice and you're out and you're getting nine plays total. And there's really no, uh, you know, how are you going to get any kind of grade off of that performance right there? So you have to take it with a grain of salt. Um, like you said, you, you wish the turnovers were limited. I know that we'll talk about that a little further in, in the quarterback play. But again, I think the other 14 practices or 13 practices, that culmination of those practices mean a lot more than this spring game does. Yeah, so a few more a few more details to share here. If you if you were there, you saw this. If you, if you weren't there, uh, just to to pass along what you missed. Uh, the the quarterback play, which obviously so many people focus in on, 
Adam knows well as a former quarterback. The quarterback play was a little spotty. Dewan Mathis had two touchdown passes and two interceptions, one of which came in the red zone, and he fumbled multiple times. Now, part of that, you know, I think it's fair to say can come from a reshuffled offensive line that's still working together. Uh, Isaac Moore, who I would think might start at right tackle, did not play Saturday. He was on the sideline with pads. That forced Adam Klein to kick out to right tackle and probably forced Bryce Toman to start at right guard. And Wisdom, Wisdom Korshi, who they do seem to be high on, was playing center, but there were a lot of bad snaps there. Mm-hmm. Um, after the game, Stan Drayton did say, and we'll play a clip for you a little bit later, he said they, quote, have some potential to add some depth, a quarterback. Uh, he did throw two touchdown passes. One was on a slant to Devon Fox, who looked pretty good. He broke multiple tackles on his way to the end zone uh, on that play. And then the other was to Ahmad Anderson. Uh, he made an adjustment coming back and kind of fell to the ground near that front pylon. Mariano Valenti accounted for the third touchdown pass. Uh, he had a scoring toss to Jordan Smith. Um, so, and then on defense, and again, like Adam provides good insight here. You know, did the defense look good? Yes. How much can we take from that? Not sure yet, you know, because it's, you know, and I don't want to take away from Zach Gill and Jalen Satchel, but they had, a, they had a really good game up front. They look good. Layton Jordan, who Adam's familiar with, looked good. He had several, I guess, would-be sacks. Uh, another guy that flashed, uh, Sylvester Mathis, who's a walk-on. He played well, too. Um, Dante Colonelli, if you want to check out our, our spring game story from, from Alscoop.com, Dante wrote, if the spring game is any indication, Temple might have found a diamond in the rough with Mathis. Uh, that's Sylvester Mathis. He was disruptive as both a pass rusher and a run defender in Saturday's contest. I have to say, a couple of times he popped and made plays, and I found myself looking down at my roster again saying, wait, who is that again? So right, um, you can see you can see flashes of plays and the athleticism. I mean, Adam, is that really, like, as a reporter, is that all you can – I mean – is that all you can look for sometimes, regardless of who they're matched up with? A tackle's a tackle, a play is a play. Right. Then you have to take it all into consideration. But is that all we can really take from it? Just looking at the athleticism, the execution, and stuff like that? Absolutely. I mean, and when you're talking about the guys that you mentioned, um, you know, Zach and Jalen, who were there when, you know, before Zach was hurt, you know, when I was when I was on staff there, I mean, we were expecting some major things from the kid. And Jalen's really twitchy, you know what I mean? So, you know, you expect him to go ahead inside and do some different things. And then obviously Layton's a phenomenal athlete who should, and I'm sure the staff is looking for him to take that next step. And then again, when you see Sylvester, like he's physically, like he's imposing, the kid looks really good. He looks like he should be playing. So when you see a guy flash in the pan or however you may see it, it's like, okay, you did that in this game. What did you do? Those Again, you continue to go back to those other 13 practices. What did you do in the offseason workouts? And now as reporters now me as an outsider looking at it's like do we look and say okay who did you go against no that's not what we do but that's what the staff will do they'll go back and say okay he went against this guy on 80 percent of the plays he was in okay now what did he do against our starting right left tackle like so as for me and you john we we, we just say okay the kid looked good he flashed he was productive as a staff you can go back there and say hey who'd you do it against and kind of figure some things out there but it's good. I mean, like you mentioned earlier, I mean, the defense seems to always be ahead of the offense when a new staff comes in. I don't want to say it's easier because there's obviously a lot of different things, but um, it just seems like any team that I've ever been a part of, that's always been the case until, you know what I mean, whether it's year two, you know what I mean, going into year three type of deal when the offense finally catches up. So hopefully the defense comes around a little bit and, and continues to play good football. And so I would promise you guys a clip of Stan Drayton talking about uh, the quarterbacks. And again, and I, something else I want to ask Adam about too, I think that 
that Stan, if anything, seems to be pretty judicious about how he describes players, how he describes where they are as a program. And, you know, for us as reporters, we didn't get access to, to players this spring, but um, so from a content perspective, getting information out to readers perspective or a podcast perspective, not great, but kind of understand where, where the guy's coming from. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but here is Stan Drayton talking a little bit about where the quarterbacks are. And, uh, and then I also asked him, I'll play this clip too, a part of this clip where he's talking about the tight ends and David Martin Robinson. So we'll play this for you here. Uh, you, you know, we got some guys coming in too, that, that, that should be able to add some depth and some competition. And, you know, I don't think that any one of those guys right now can just settle in and feel as though that, you know, based on what you saw in the spring, it's exactly the way it's going to happen in the, in, in the fall. I think that uh, the competition continues throughout the, the uh, off season. These guys continue to get better. Uh, we still got some install in place and, you know, we'll see who better fits the install moving forward. But uh, we, we like to keep a competitive environment between those two and, and it's a daily process. So no one should be comfortable. Stan, just one, two point, more, please. one point early in the spring, I think you said you were happy with the tight ends or happy with that room. It looked like Dave Martin Robinson and Jordan Smith played pretty well today. What did you think of the DMR is a, a, a really good player. You know, I, you know, the thing I love about DMR right now is his mindset. You know, he's a quiet kid by nature. You know, he's a young man who's um, starting to get out of his comfort zone and try to bring the people around him to get better, you know, to bring him up to his level. But he's a natural he has a natural feel for the game, has very good hands. You know, he needs to really continue to improve on his blocking, his physicality at the point of attack, you know. But, uh, you know, until then, he's somewhat of a one, two-dimensional player, you know what I mean? And we've got to continue to work on uh, the blocking piece so he can be a full-rounded tight end. But that group is was trending in the right direction. I think there was a time where they plateaued, you know. But as far as uh, DMR is concerned, I think he's been on a steady climb and very happy with his progress this spring. And so, Adam, I'll ask you a couple things coming out of that clip. We'll start with with um, with Dwan Mathis. So, we, I mean, we kind of said going into this that, that he had a lot to prove, and you know, Stan's talked about the fact that they'd like to add some depth. What do you make of his comments? Again, you're not in the building anymore, but you 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 still know you still have a good feel for what's going on in the program. But what do you make of his comments about the quarterback position? Then I want to ask you about DMR as well. Yeah, and I mean, me and you talked about this, I mean, probably right before spring ball started. Like, to me personally, John, as I go back, I'm like, there's probably, as a staff, it's like, hey, listen, we're probably going to add a quarterback no matter what happens here. So that's when you're talking about coach adding, adding depth, possibility to add depth to the room. I mean, they have three scholarship quarterbacks in the building. That's not enough. No, you got it. Yeah. I know Warner's coming in. That's still not enough. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's going to be a need for one more. And if one more comes, does one leave? Um, I, I mean, at every position, you have to find a way to, to, to get competition and build competition. And from the guys that have been coming in, the transfers that have come in, the kids from Michigan State, you know what I mean? There's kids from Oklahoma. There's kids from all over the place. And he's bringing competition to the program. And that's, you know, you can't ask for anything more than that. Um, so when you talk about the one, it's like, hey, the one you had a month, I guess, you know, of football, what did you prove to those guys? And, and again, he's never going to, again, he's not going to name a starter, John. Um, I know if they played tomorrow, I'm sure DeWan would be the guy, but I don't know what to make of the comments. I don't know what DeWan thinks of the comments. Obviously there's, you know, I mean, there's not much said by the quarterback room. You know, I had a couple conversations with Mariano just checking in, you know, he's having some fun. Um, 
being able to get more reps than he has in the past. Um, so that's pretty cool. But again, I mean, I think, again, they're going to try to continue to add depth to the rooms and not just the quarterback room. But again, that's the most important position on the football field. So, and if the one, if they were happy with the one, I still think they were going to add somebody to that room. Mm-hmm. If they, if he struggled and, um, you know, I mean, was, was, was poor, they said, Hey, this guy can't do it for us. They're still going to add depth to the room either way. Mm-hmm. So again, the turnovers stink during the spring game, the red zone one, especially I saw the one on clip that he rolled right and threw it down the field. I don't know if it was third and long, if it was fourth down, you know, I mean, I don't know the exact scenario of the game, you know, those ones kind of come and go. Cause if you would have caught it for a touchdown, you know what I mean? Everyone would have been hooting and hollering. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see who they bring in and when they do bring this, bring this other quarterback in. Yeah. And to be fair, Stan has throughout the spring said some good stuff about Dewan. Again, as somebody who did not play the position like Adam, I feel like at times Dewan has the arm strength and I'm not sure if it was a lack of touch on a couple of balls. He was trying to take something off. The weather also wasn't great. Um, so you saw some good throws, some throws he probably would like to have back. But again, there were a lot of factors there. Real quick, just wanted to point out, Adam mentioned earlier uh, in his remarks there, a transfer from Michigan State. He's talking about Ian Stewart, a uh, wide receiver who's going to be joining the program. That's news. It's developed between our last episode and this episode. Um, Adam, David Martin Robinson seemed to jump out to stay in a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more this spring. You've been around him before. You know, Rod always seemed high on him. Obviously, he's dealt with some injuries, but uh, he looked pretty sharp from what we could see Saturday. And he, he seems to be, you know, his name just keeps coming up in, in good ways, on the field, off the field. Well, what right. can you tell us about him, just being, having been around him? Well, for, for one, I mean, he's extremely easy to like. Um, probably one of the top three easiest kids on the team to like. I mean, there's not a, a bad bone in his body. Doesn't say a bad word about anybody. Just comes to work. And like when we recruited him, he was recruited as a wide receiver. Like every drill that he did coming out of high school at our camp, it was done at wide receiver. So when you talk about Stan talking about blocking, no, yeah, we get it. You know, I mean, that was said by the previous staffs too, like be more physical. But and then you think, and the one thing that sucks again, being a guy that you know broke his leg, separated his shoulder my last two seasons. You know, you just wish that the injuries didn't happen. And there's nothing you could do. It's a game of football. It's a physical game. You know what I mean? The kids, but, but he's skilled, John. I mean, he's, he's a top five skilled kid on the team. You know, if he wanted to go play pass rusher, he could play pass rusher. He can go rush the pass for sure. There's no doubt in my mind. I mean, we, we had him in the past play running back. Like we were handing him the football mm. to run it. You know what I mean? Some stuff we did in the past with some other guys, his size, but he's a physical specimen. Would you love him to stick his face in there a little more? Obviously everybody would. 95% of the tight ends in college football and the NFL aren't sticking their face in on anybody. And right. the guys that do are like the third, third tight ends. Like name me a, a one tight end that really wants to get down and dirty with some monstrous DNs and linebackers on, on, on the regular, there ain't many to do. So, but the kid, like I said, man, he's, he's a phenomenal kid. I pray that the injuries stay away from him, the injury bug this year and just let him go out there and play with some freedom. And you know how it is, John. I mean, you get hurt. It's always in the back of your mind. So hopefully it just clears his mind a little bit, went through spring in a good mode, good mindset, some good things being said about him. And I'm sure he's uh, as positive and as uh, happy as they come to get spring ball over it and, you know, and come out healthy on the other end. So I mentioned at the outset of the podcast, that I had a chance to talk to Chris Wiesahan last week. He was one of the assistants uh, that was made 
available. Like I said, I kind of get where Stan's coming from. He didn't make players available. We've got, um, if you follow us on Al Scoop, you can hear the clip of Stan talking about why. It's like I'm still trying to figure out who our players are before I put them out to you guys in the media. Again, from a content perspective, you miss out on some audio, but from a culture building perspective, I can, I can understand where the guy's coming from in terms of trying to figure out this roster, but uh, we got a lot of availability from Stan this spring. And then in the past week, you know, we heard from Antoine Smith, Danny Langsdorf, DJ Elliott, and then recently uh, we's back on Thursday. So in addition to him talking to the reporters that were assembled there, I got some one-on-one time with Chris Weezy and a guy that Adam knows well. We want to play this interview. This is the only place you'll be able to hear this on the Believe in Temple Football podcast. Adam, I, I did ask him before we recorded if you remember that. Yeah, that I heard. Story. Oh, I'm so mad. When you, when you sent me the clip, I'm like, come on, Weezy. You know, he always wait till wait till I, I was gonna text him. I'm gonna wait till the, the podcast comes out. So he's sitting in his office drawing up his cards or wherever he's at on the beach in Hawaii or somewhere. And he, I'm just gonna text him and say, How do you not remember that story? We were in the old staff room. I was a GA and I'm just sitting there and I I, I don't even it was like when Skype it was Skype anyway, John. We didn't even have Zoom and all the stuff right. me and you were doing. Mm-hmm. Skype and the, the guy was doing his drills in, in Hawaii mm-hmm. in his office. And he's hitting bags and he's putting stuff on the board. Matt's mm-hmm. just tasked me. He's like, all right, all right, all right cool. We just clicks off. Boop. Mm-hmm. And we just calling back like crazy. I think we want to answer it one time. Like, oh, sorry, we cut off. We cut off. So he's going through these drills again. And Matt's like, all right, we're good. And he hung up and he says, and he keeps calling back. He's like, don't answer it. So we starts calling me like crazy. But we always tries to act too cool for school, man. <laughs> like, when next time I see him, we're, we're going to go at it a little bit. But um, no, it was a great <laughs> interview. Sorry, I missed it, man. Um, um, but you know, obviously with, with, with Weez, the guys, even the players say like, Weez has a, a quote and a story about everything. I know we mm-hmm. talked about him before when he first got hired, which is pretty cool. And then we were talking about him for the, you know, the head coaching job and his name popped up. We were doing that, that podcast, that episode. So I know he was, um, again, I mean, when you, when you, you're, you have starters and guys that you hope are going to play for yards playing in the spring game and maybe your position group doesn't look the greatest. It gets a little frustrating, but. I know he'll get those guys right, and I'm sure he has been thus far with meal plans and gaining weight and losing weight and just yeah. I mean, I see the guys like I see them on my social media, and like you know, Jermaine Donaldson looks he's positive as heck. You know what I mean? Like Sam Davis, who you know what I mean, it wasn't you know doing the best. You know, he's got some some cool stuff posting and Bryce Tell. So you see all these young guys just get a new jolt of energy from someone like Weeze, and not saying that the guys on the previous staff didn't have that, but just bringing in someone new, clean slate. That's what's cool about we, you know, it's a clean slate for everybody, even the guys that he knows. And let's get to work. The best, the best five will play or, you know, whoever wants the steak on the plate or whatever kind of quote he uses, man. I don't know what he says sometimes. Five steaks. Yeah. Five steaks at the table. Oh, yeah, let's, yeah. let's, uh, let's play this interview for you. And uh, again, you'll, you hear a lot of what, what Adam's talking about and, uh, uh, we'll play this play this interview for you again. This is the only place you'll be able to hear this interview with Temple offensive line coach and run game coordinator Chris Weezahan. You've been all over the place, and not only have you coached in some great places, you've been in like some beautiful parts of the country. What's special about Temple and, and Philly? Why does this place resonate with you and your family? Well, I think uh, one, it's personal, uh, and, and it's personal from the level of development. And I'm really, uh, I like the underdog mentality, and I and I take great pride. And looking back on and our body of work, and all the coaches are inclusive. I mean, you take Mike Saravo and you take all the good guys, Phil Snow and all the guys that did a great, wonderful job here. But when I look back at just the guys I was fortunate enough to coach um, that didn't have 15 offers, didn't have 20 offers. They had, you know, one offer 
and and it was Temple, and they came to camp, and they did the right things, and they developed, you know, whether it's Matt Ioannidis or or it's uh, Matt Akavich. But then I look within my own group and the guys, how proud I am to put that number of guys in the NFL. And then beyond that, the kids that, that didn't go to the NFL all have productive lives. And I felt like here I could really make an impact. And then when I say it's personal, I mean, my wife loves it here. You know, mm-hmm. we lived at Second and Girard and Northern Liberties and all my son's friends are here. And you guys know with the pandemic, he was on the phone or on FaceTime with those kids constantly. And those are really his, still his crew. And so we had the opportunity to come work for a guy like Stan Drayton who we all know people in the business, right? We've all crossed over and worked with guys, and I've, uh, he's, I've heard, always heard wonderful things about him. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Tabor Johnson, one of my close friends who worked mm-hmm. here, is close with him. They worked at Ohio State, and I've known Stan on and off for a number of years, and I knew that he had passion, energy for kids. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's hard to find because mm-hmm. uh, everybody is so enamored with winning, and we all know we have to win or we won't have jobs. But I think when you're passionate about kids and you invest in their lives – good things are going to happen. Mm-hmm. And that's a place that I, you know, this is a place where we really invest in the kids. And I just think it's it's a place where we have that underdog mentality and we get kids with grit and we can go play with anybody in the country as we've shown in the past. Tell me your, your football story growing up in St. Louis. When did you first start playing and getting interested in the game long before you became a coach? So that's a misnomer. I was born in St. Louis. I actually moved around and went to high school in Indianapolis. Okay. Um, my high school coach was a Division One guy at Purdue and OC at Army and came back to high school mm-hmm. and basically kind of half recruited me off, the, off of baseball. Mm-hmm. And I went out, and, uh, you know, he was a great coach. He had a great staff. And, you know, you win state championship your sophomore year, first year playing football, it ignites you. Mm-hmm. And the next year we did the same thing. And, uh, you know, Coach Dellingham was a guy, you know, failure to prepare is preparing to fail. And that just was something that resonated with me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I got into law school and all those things got cut in the NFL and, and uh, kind of fell into coaching, um, thinking I was just going to get a free master's and then go to law school. Mm-hmm. And that kind of, once I got into coaching, kind of took off. Tell me about going to Wabash and like how you ended up there. Wabash, so I cracked, Wabash. Yes, Wabash, so I cracked my vertebrae my senior year, Ooh. had a bunch of off. Well, I would say a bunch of offers, whatever. And... Uh, you know, a school was going to take me on a trip and asked why I didn't play basketball. Well, I lived on my own in, in high school, you know, and um, I said I cracked my vertebrae, and they said, well, we're not going to bring you up, and that kind of sequentially happened. So I made a commitment to a 1AA school, and my high school coach literally went nuts mm-hmm. on me. And I was actually academically a really strong student, mm-hmm. and just not from a great area. Those things happen. And he said, you know, what do you want to do with your life? I said, well, I'm going to be a lawyer. And he goes, well, you're going to these three schools, and that school paid, and, mm-hmm. and so that's where I went. What about famous – I want to see, we'll see what your answer is here. Famous, most famous alum from your, from your school? Randy Whitman or Pete Metzlars. Pete Metzlars, that's one. Randy Whitman's from my high school. I apologize. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I taught um, him everything he knows. That is not true. Go ahead. We're, tell me about your first coaching gig. Was that Fort Hayes State? What do you remember? We call that? that scenic Fort Hayes State. So it's on I-70 <laughs> in western Kansas. Uh-huh. And the first practice was about 105 degrees on the turf. Oh. And the stench from Garden City, which is about 300 miles away, and the <laughs> cattle came up. And I didn't know what it was. But uh, <laughs> I had great players. You know, I thought it was Newt Rockney. I had a bunch of transfers and renegades and good kids. It turned out well in life. But I went to Purdue. And really, Jim Coletto probably changed my coaching tra- trajectory, moving me to tight ends and having to learn the run game and protections. And probably – really accelerated my ability to be a line coach. 
We, we had a fun conversation when we talked to Stan about this because families are important, spouses are important. I wanted to ask you about your wife, Renee. Other than the fact that she has a really cool last name, uh, Carlo. Same last name. He always uses that. That's line. like the second time I've, I've brought that up. But what, how important is she to you? Because this isn't this is a rewarding profession, I'm sure, but it's not an easy one. You've moved around so many times, so I, I would assume that she has to be really, really supportive and bought into what you're doing. Well, she's so supportive. We never left Temple mm-hmm. by choice, right? Like we had to make that move, but she she did not want to leave. So every year in this business, you get on paper what looks like better opportunities but she loved the place she loved the kids and she I would always talk about the investment but uh, I mean she was here today she flew in last night she brought Colton over mm-hmm. she, he wanted to see Adam Klein he wanted to see Isaac Moore and um, she's she's huge because she invests in these kids I mean she's huge compassion and empathy and I mean you guys know when we lived at second in Gerard I mean it was nothing to have a DB at our house. It was nothing to have the whole line at our house. You know, the kids are going on dates and they're knocking on our doors in the summer. You know, we had three girls from Hawaii on our volleyball team and two of them, you know, I come from Hawaii. I knew both their families. And for those girls just to come over and feel free to come over and hang out. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of the neat part of, of coaching at Temple and the community. You've coached one of the things that stands out about you too. You've coached almost with the exception of quarterback, almost every position on the offensive side of the ball. And you've done it at a high level. Um, I know guys in the business have to do this sometimes. I mean, Matt's done that as well, Matt Rule. But, like, how, how do you do it at such a high level and just transition around? Because you have a track record of sending guys to the next level. Well, I think it, an old coach, Chester Caddis, told me this. And he coached uh, Greg Robinson, who I worked for at Syracuse, and Pete Carroll. Mm-hmm. And I was a young coach, and I'd moved to tight ends. And then um, some transitionings were happening. So I'd gone from wide out, played wide out, moved to tight ends. And he always just said, as long as you're a good teacher – and you know fundamentals, and then you can grasp the scheme. You can you can you can develop players. And so I've never flinched when I've moved positions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've always tried to be as fundamentally sound, and then schematically give the kids the information that's applicable. Like I always think about Rockwell, and I took over the running back room here. Mm-hmm. I said, you know, how many guys go to the combine, and 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 what's what separates them? And all the kids, all oh, they're good rusher. No, everybody that goes to the combine can run the ball. But they want to find the guy at the combine that can also protect the million-dollar quarterback. So you have to know protections. Mm-hmm. And I think when you can bring value to those kids and they see it and they have success, that's when they'll flourish. Well, if you, because I know that at some point you could become a head coach. A lot of people see that in you. What are some things that you've taken from some of the guys that, that you've worked for along the way? I know it's a long list, but. Well, no, I think, I think the number one thing was my first head coach. And he was from Rochester. He was Italian and he was volatile. And uh, he was tough on those kids, but he would always say, you can't coach like me mm-hmm. to the group, to our staff. Like everybody has to have their own personality. You can't coach like me and have success. You have to coach like you. So you take the personality of a, a Rick Neuheisel, uh, maybe versus Coach Davey or Rick Neuheisel. I keep using him as an example or Jim Coletto, like two different, but, but all had a variety of successes. And I think the key thing is to take the powerful points that fit you and then know what your weaknesses are and hire guys that can help you in your blind spots. Mm-hmm. And when you went down to, to Georgia Tech with Jeff, mm-hmm. I mean, you guys were literally re-implementing tight ends in, back into, into the offense, and they hadn't had that for a long time, and then you eventually get one of the guys drafted. What was it like to, to just to do that and undertake that because you left an impact there as well? Well, that was a neat story. So Tyler Davis showed up, who was a UConn transfer, and – 
Tyler was very driven. I, I would I would say that Tyler's very much like Matt Hennessy from a mindset. So I said, you know, why did you transfer to UConn? You were getting balls. You're a very productive player. And he's like, Coach, I didn't feel like schematically I knew what was really going on. I didn't feel like I was growing. And I said, well, if you want to get drafted, we have to go back to – you know, my kids at Notre Dame, my kids at UCLA, even my kids at Purdue. And obviously we looked at those measurables, but then we did a deep dive in the last seven years of the draft. And I said, you have to weigh 250. You have to run a 4.6. Mm-hmm. And so the ir- irony was I was with Rich Berg down at the Senior Bowl seeing Matt Hennessy. I see a cluster of scouts, and they're all asking me about Matt Hennessy. Mm-hmm. And I'm all teasing them about Deion Dawkins, who they all told me would have to play guard. Well, as we know, that played out like I thought. He'd be a left tackle right. and would be a captain. So I looked down. I look at the tight ends, and I said at the senior bowl, I said, and those guys aren't very good. Mm-hmm. And, of course, they said, well, who do you have? I told them about Tyler. Mm-hmm. And they look on their iPads. Everybody has instant information. Their coach, he's 232. He had 17 catches. I said, no, he's 252. And we were playing with an option quarterback. Come to his pro day. Mm-hmm. And he had mentally prepared. He had a great day. And the rest is history. You know, he's active uh, his first two years in the NFL. And now he's with Green Bay. And, mm-hmm. and they love him. He's on all four special teams, which is a gateway drug, obviously, to playing time. Yeah. This leads me into my last question. You've been a good recruiter, too. And everybody, it, the, the evaluation piece of it is key. And it becomes more challenging now because now you have, to, you have to recruit out of the portal. You have to recruit out of high school. But you've... you've you've hit more than you've missed with recruiting what how long does it take when you're a coach to, to really start trusting your own instincts and saying okay I, I we can develop this I mean it's easy for everybody to spot like the, the guys that are the four stars really the yeah five. I think what you need to do particularly this level is, is take the star out of the equation mm-hmm. regardless of position there's going to be flaws in every player and you have to make a decision and know what you can fix and what you can't fix mm-hmm. and what, how you can develop a guy and, how, and also mindset of the kid. Is he willing to develop mm-hmm. and do the things he has to do like a Matt Hennessy or a Vince Picozzi? Uh, you know, they're 250 pound kids. They ran five flat forties. They allowed me to put on the weight gain uh, through my little process. I'm sure you guys are know about by now. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, those are 295-pound kids that are running five mm-hmm. flats, you know, and, and mm-hmm. they're explosive with uh, great body mechanics. And final question for you again. You can't talk about guys that you're recruiting, but just in terms of the general vibe with, with Stan being here and this staff, it does from the outside looking in, it does look like you guys have some momentum and that you've really engaged more of the local schools. What's the reception been like out on, you know, when you've been able, whether it's just talking to a guy over the phone or going out, having people here, what's it been like so far? Well, I just – Stan is so uh, – has so much energy, so has so much passion, but he's authentic. Mm-hmm. And I think when you deal with people and you're real and you're authentic and you never change and you are who you are, mm-hmm. you always get received well. Mm-hmm. And I think in the city, you know, fortunately I've been able to come back to, to a place where I have invested in a lot of the high school coaches. They have come over here. We have talked a lot of scheme. We have talked a lot of technique. And then just to have a guy, you know, when you're walking in with a head coach that is a real dude mm-hmm. and a real guy, and it's mm-hmm. just genuine, mm-hmm. I think it's been, it's been greatly received. And just being open, you know, Coach Straighten allowing all the high school coaches to come in, and they can go anywhere in the building. You know, they can mm-hmm. sit in any meeting and have access because they want to learn too. And the thing that you, you forget, you know, and I tell the coach, they're like, hey, this guy's a pretty good coach. We should, we should let him, you know, mm-hmm. clinic us on a couple things, you know, because mm-hmm. you can always learn. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Chris. All right, so a big thanks to to Chris for for joining us for the podcast. Again, he's he's got his hands full uh, with this unit, but you can hear a guy uh, again that the common thread with we seems to be that really wants to be back, and he's been all over the country, as Adam said. You know, at the time he was doing that interview, he was at Hawaii, it's been the Syracuse. He's had a stop in the NFL. Uh, it's been all over the place, but 
Temple's obviously a, a special place to him uh, and his family. So uh, hopefully we'll uh, look forward to talking to him again down the line. want to thank you guys for joining us this week again and uh, being patient uh, as we get you this episode. And uh, again, we've got another one coming up for you soon in the coming days with Evan Cooper, former former Temple football player, former roommate of Adam DeMichael and a good friend. So keep your eyes peeled and your ears peeled for that one for the Believe in Temple football podcast brought to you by Bet Online. Thanks for uh, sticking with us this week and we will talk to you soon. For listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube.